0: Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk Podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 13 of the World Soccer Talk Podcast, we discuss the latest research about soccer on TV in 2016, including some surprising stats, as well as big streaming news for Premier League soccer fans in the US. And of course, we've got lots of soccer matches to discuss uh, in what we've been watching and much, much more. Kartik, how are you?
1: I'm doing well, Chris. How about you?
0: Really good, really, really good. It's uh, it's been a good week of soccer uh, from around the world in terms of uh, some of the stuff that we've been watching. So that, that, let's start off there. Um, my name is Christopher Harris, by the way, aka the Gaffer. Uh, Kartik, let me kick this off. So, so out of all the matches I saw this past week, and I, and I saw a lot, uh, the one that stood out for me the most, and the one that I enjoyed the most was probably a surprise to to myself and, and, and some of the listeners. But that was Porto against Sporting uh, from the from Premier the, uh, Primeira Liga in Portugal. And I watched this one this past I think, Saturday. It was on um, on Univision Deportes. And I watched it through uh, my uh, my Fubo account. Uh, it had co-commentary by Hugo uh, Salcedo and then commentary itself by uh, Enrique Bermudez, who I think his nickname is the Bulldog. He's the one with like the really... Uh, deep voice, you can't miss it on uh, Liga MX and Mexican national t- team broadcasts. But overall, Cartic, it was a great game. I really enjoyed it. It was, um, I was a little bit, a uh, little bit disappointed by uh, the lack of passion in the stadiums. In the stadium, yes, the, it was sold out, but I was expecting more in terms of, you know, just uh, noise and and just just um, animosity in some ways, but just passion. Uh, it wasn't there as much as I thought, but the game itself was great, back and forth, kind of end-to-end game, and ported one one That's the Hugo Salcedo, right? Former US. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that was, I mean, it was in He's Spanish. He's still uh, around
1: and kicking. Okay. Yeah, great, great it, was it,
0: it, it was in Spanish, so my Spanish is very, very poor. I mean, I can understand a tiny, tiny bit. Um, so I couldn't understand much of what he was saying. But uh, but the game itself was really exciting. I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's probably the first or second Portuguese match uh, club, club game I've watched this season. And, and that was my highlight from this past weekend. A great game and uh, Porto 1-2-1. Uh, what about you, Cartier? What, what, what was your highlight of uh, this past week? Uh,
1: probably watching the argument between Kyle Martino and Robbie Musto following the conclusion of the Leicester Manchester United game. I, I think it was, uh, it was unscripted, it was spontaneous. So was, I complain that so much on NBC is scripted, right? It seems to be predictable. This was not predictable. Martino, who obviously, we talked about time and again, has great insights on this program. Uh, he, 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 he talks about how uh, it's clear to him that Ranieri has lost the dressing room and that Leicester is spiraling out of control and you need to make a managerial change to um, keep the team up and um, Robbie musto uh, somewhat unpredictably lashed at and lashed out, made great television said, no, this guy won the league last year. You can't sack um, them. The team punched above its weight. Um, he, he, he has a track record of getting more than, um, then their natural abilities out of this particular set of players, not another set of players, not at another club, but this set of players, you need to stick with them. It was, it was real interesting. And then, um, that, that conversation kind of continued on ESPN FC during the week. Uh, ESPN FC has been, uh, really good last week and this week. Um, uh, and, uh, and one of the big topics of discussion has been the Rainieri situation with, um, with Craig Burley, believing that, uh, Uh, that we shouldn't even be having the discussion because we're having the discussion because the team punched so far above its weight last season. If you look at uh, where they are now in the table uh, compared to where they were at this point two seasons ago, they're in in better shape. Um, They have more points, and they didn't sack Nigel Pearson. Now, uh, that having been said, I want to remind folks that this was the week two years ago when we thought Nigel Pearson had been sacked. And we went around for about three hours um, on the Sunday. And it was the Sunday coming up, thinking Pearson had been sacked. And then the um, club made a clear statement that he had not been sacked. Um, But it is a club, as Burley points out, that um, had high expectations in the championship, spent a lot of money, was thought to be a club that would uh, violate financial fair play rules, was thought to be a club that would pop right up when the takeover took place and they underachieved, and Nigel Pearson somehow, and I, I'm still shocked by this, and I point this out when people say he was wrong when he was finally sacked. Uh, for some reason, he kept his job when they finished seventh in the league one year, uh, didn't make the playoffs when they lost that playoff match, uh, the famous match where Al Muneo made the save on the penalty, and then Watford scored the, the dramatic goal. He kept his job after that, um, and, and then um, was able to get them promoted eventually, but basically had, on paper, one of the top two or three teams in the championship every year he was there, and it took him a while to get promoted.
0: Okay, Kartik. So what do you think? So in terms of that, uh, basically, debate between Carl Martino and Robbie Musto, do you think both of them were authentically believing in their side of the argument, or do you think there was kind of a, all right, you take this side, I'll take that side uh, type of argument?
1: No, it seemed too spontaneous for that. Um, I am sure there was some discussion while they 're off camera and off air during the end of that match as to which position they 're going to take and what they 're believing, mm-hmm. but it was um, you know i 've seen these this, the, these disagreements between Robbie and Robbie and even between Martino and one of the two Robbies seem to me very scripted and, and i've uh, i pointed that out on the, on this podcast in the past this time I thought it was uh it was pretty genuine uh, but it was it was the moment right it was the it was um one of the takeaway moments of NBC's Premier League coverage this season, or maybe the, the entire four years they've had the Premier League. I, I wow. mean, people were buzzing about it uh, for a while. And uh, I it missed was so it. good, they used it again on Match of the Day that night.
0: I missed it. I missed it. The, this past weekend, for me, again, another soccer weekend, my daughter playing different games, so I wasn't able to catch everything. But uh, I'm sad I missed it, actually, because to me, if it is authentic and... These people, I mean, these experts believe in what they're saying. Then, uh, even if I, if I disagree with them, I still enjoy it. And uh, Fox, I mean, I, I know that Alexi Lalas and um, Richard Deutsch from uh, Sports Illustrated have gotten into a lot of kind of um, disagreements on Twitter and, and on podcasts where they've inter- where, where Richard has interviewed uh, Alexi Lalas and Lalas has come out and said yeah of course so most of our disagreements on air are scripted beforehand we kind of say okay you take this side i'll take this side and then we i mean we kind of in rehearsals we'll practice that and and richard as i as am i i'm against that because i think it's it's fake yeah yes you don't want to have people agreeing all the time but a lot of the a lot of the viewers i think can see through that and it doesn't feel sincere um, and Alexei says, well, it's entertainment. That's what we do. We're an entertainer. We're, uh, you mean we're not so much... Well, yes, we're analysts, but but we're trying to keep people uh, a captive audience. We're trying to kind of hold them on. But in many ways, that kind of works against them, I think, in, in many ways. And that's the reason I asked whether or not it felt authentic in that did, debate.
1: Did, do you think, um, you know, at Fox, that seems to be the case? I mean, I've thought that a lot of the... Uh, Discussions there were put on, as I did at NBC, but this time, you know, I think it was one of those things where Musto, perhaps they had discussed in the pa- uh, during the uh, the break and during the tail end of that match when they're off air and it's Arlo Lee and uh, and Graham during the game that they uh, that they were on different sides of this issue. But uh, it was Musto's passion, his uh, his um, willingness to really kind of engage and defend Rainieri that made it a. Uh, um, a, 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 spirited discussion. And I, and Martino is not going to back off because he, um, look, I, I mean, whether, whether it's luck or it's just being very good at this, I think he's probably being very good at this. Martino's predictions generally come to pass, right? Mm-hmm, I mean, right. He, he's, been, he's been pretty much on the money about most things. And when you're on air as much as he is, and you say as many things as he is, it's pretty difficult statistically to have the track record. He does. But even at the beginning of last season, you remember after the Swansea game, when, uh, um, we hadn't realized this Eva Canaro thing had happened, um, but it was a Swansea, Swansea Chelsea draw first 2-2. game of the season. Right. Uh, Martino was talking about third year syndrome with uh, Jose Mourinho's clubs. And I remember thinking right away, yeah, this is kind of reactionary. He's reacting to one result. Why is he saying this? Right. Uh, they, they drawn, they were, they were unfortunate, whatever. And <laughs> as it turns out, I mean, he had, he had pegged it. So that's just one example, but he has a very good track record on pegging this. And, So what he says he takes very seriously and uh, we take very seriously, Musto chose to engage um, with a somewhat unpredictable position. Because I think what we've – our complaints about Musto recently have been that he is a good analyst, but his views are very predictable, right? Right. right. And um, this was not so predictable because Musto seems to be a guy who, who is consistently saying it's time to sack a manager. Right. Mm-hmm. He's the one who said, well, Alan Pardew's got to go. It's clear that this isn't working. Uh, and uh, so on and so forth. Uh, uh, Bob Bradley has uh, needs to go. Maybe you give him the game uh, against Bournemouth, which they didn't even give him. Right. But that was it. You know, he got sacked the next day. But he has been quick to give up on managers. So his mm-hmm. impassioned defense of Rainieri was surprising. But then again, you, know, you have to listen to his arguments. The guy won the league last year. Right? <laughs> I- um and and, and he finished and second with a bunch of other teams around the uh, around different leagues in Europe. He's not. This isn't some man, uh, you know, relegation specialist that's been brought in. It's a different type of manager.
0: And and that makes great television, though, too. So whether it is scripted or not, we're hoping that it's not, and it probably isn't. But I'm sure, like you said, they may have, may have had some kind of uh, discussions, uh, kind of uh, pre pre uh, pre production, or or just kind of uh, you know off the cuff type of thing. But it makes great entertainment and is something that kind of keeps you, I mean, that gives you a reason to keep on watching the shows and kind of to hear what they're going to say. Uh, something else that uh, NBC did this, this weekend, which was uh, quite different too, is the the whole uh, excellent adventure. And we talked about this in the last show where uh, Lee Dixon, Graeme Lasso, and Arlo White were going to do some kind of uh, behind-the-scenes coverage as far as taking them from uh, the one stadium, I think it was, yeah, Stamford Bridge, Uh, to White Hart Lane, and then stopping at some London uh, landmarks along the way, uh, going on motorbikes. And uh, I was actually a little bit disappointed in that I thought it was going to be more on television, and I didn't realize it was going to be more on social media. Yeah,
1: I was actually very disappointed by it, because um, it was neat, but they, they only spent the last few minutes of Goal Zone uh, discussing it and a little, uh, and one segment at halftime. And I thought there was going to be updates, uh, during their other broadcasts. I thought there was going to be more, more coverage of it. It just was, it was a, it was an attempt to drive people to social media, which, um, right. You know, I might do normally, but I wasn't going to do, um, in the middle of all these games, to be honest with you. And, and, uh, you know, uh, you're trying to, uh, you're trying to balance, uh, the, um, the watching of, of eight Premier League games or whatever at that uh, 3 p.m. kickoffs in England and, and uh, five Bundesliga games trying to juggle all the scores, championship games going on. It's uh, difficult to then <laughs> go to Instagram or wherever this was.
0: Right, Facebook but mostly, it, yeah.
1: Yeah, I wasn't on
0: Twitter. I mean, because right. I am
1: on Twitter during the games to get the updates from other places. And it was, um, I think it must have been, I think it was Instagram.
0: Well, mostly, mostly Facebook. So, so I, I watched it. So it was it was distracting because I was trying to listen to Rebecca. You mean kind of that nine thirty to ten o'clock kind of uh, pre match analysis and discussion? Uh, but I, I I kind of muted her, which I felt bad about. But and, and I went over to Facebook. And actually, I this for me at least was really enjoyable. So you would, you saw as soon as the match ended, you saw kind of Oliver White and, and Lee Dixon and Graham Lasso taking off their headsets. And then just walking around Sanford Bridge to kind of show them going down the steps um, in the stadium, walking through the crowds, uh, getting autographed signs uh, for Lee Dixon and Graham Lasso, and then j- jumping on the motorbikes and off they went. Uh, so for me, kind of as somebody who, who loves uh, stadium designs and loves behind-the-scenes information and, and trying to see exactly kind of how these people work in what type of environment, I loved it. The bad thing is, is that you could see on Facebook, in terms of Facebook Live, uh, I think the most number of people I saw watching was about, maybe about 450 to 500 people, so there weren't a lot of people there, and of course, people would come back later, I'm sure, and watch it, uh, not live, but, you know, on demand type of thing, but, uh... So I think from NBC's perspective, they're probably disappointed by the numbers. Um, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It was a nice little distraction. But then as soon as ten o'clock happened, then I, I switched right back to, I think Hull against Liverpool and NBCSN, and then, and then I kind of forgot about about the excellent adventure. The uh, the Hull against Liverpool game, Kartik. Um, wasn't the most entertaining one. Well, I was hoping that Tull would lose this one, so I was a little bit disappointed. I did watch the first half, but then had to leave uh, for the second half to go take my daughter to a soccer game. But the one thing I did, Karthik, I don't know if you've done this in, in a while, but uh, it's been years since I've done it. So the second half, I was at a, a park um, in Wellington, Florida. So a beautiful sunny day down here, beautiful weather, and had basically an hour before my daughter's game was ready to kick off. They were just warming up. But I was walking around this park, beautiful sunshine, listening to uh, BBC Radio Five Live and um, via the via the uh, the World Service, and I was just listening to the second half commentary of Hull against Liverpool, and it just brought me back to fond memories of listening to radio broadcasts, really good radio broadcasts, not not talk sport uh, broadcasts of matches, and um, lots of great wonderful memories of listening to sports world on BBC World Service um, in the days of shortwave radio uh, before there was the internet. And for me, it was kind of a nostalgic uh, experience. I I enjoyed it, because at the same time, too, as the the Hull against Liverpool match was going on and they were commentating on that, they were going around the grounds and saying, OK, all right, here's here's a goal at Bradford, or uh, now we're going to switch over to um, Six Nations rugby between Scotland and Ireland, and here's the latest uh, try that was just scored. But uh, anyway, so it was kind of, for me at least, uh, a walk down memory lane, and I really enjoyed it, and uh, I don't know, maybe I'll, I'll do a little bit more of that this year, because sometimes it's hard, especially if, if it's, you're walking through sunlight, you're out, it's hard to actually be able to watch a game on a, on a phone, just because of the glare, and even in, in the signal, but, but radio oftentimes, I think, trumps that, and is a great experience. How about you, Kartik? Have, have you listened to any games lately on radio?
1: No, I haven't. I haven't in many years, actually. Okay. <laughs> See, I'm dating, uh, well, I'm dating no, myself I, I guess that's not correct. No, that, that is not correct, actually. I say I haven't in many years. I don't think I have this season. Uh, I did listen to a lot of talk sport coverage of the Premier League. The, when, I, um, when I'm in Tallahassee, so it probably might happen again in March uh, or April of this year when I'm up there, when I'm up in Tallahassee for the Florida Legislative Session, I listen a lot to talk sport uh in the car uh and and around town and, and that's um and that and, and that gives me the freedom to kind of move about during mm-hmm. these Premier League games. So that's uh it's incorrect to say I have not listened to uh, a radio call. I just have not in this uh 16/17 season thus far. So but that- uh, I I tend to listen actually I tend to listen to talk sport a lot in in, in uh in um after matches as well. And, right. um, I, I've kind of transitioned to Word Talksport away from 606. Maybe I'll give 606 a listen again sometime soon, but it's been a while since I have yeah. uh, listened to 606.
0: Me too, me too. It's been a while since i listened to 606, but uh, but I've enjoyed the commentaries, and, and I think it was Alan Green. Actually, maybe it was Alan Green. I, don't, I, I can't remember, but, but Alan Green still does a lot of the uh, the radio broadcasts that you can listen to. And, and actually, if it is blocked, a tip for listeners too, so if it is blocked, trying to go through five live. Um, you can always listen to it through BBC World Service, and they don't block it through there. So you can always listen to, um, not every match, but, but usually one match on sat- Saturdays and one match on Sundays. So, Kartik, that Chelsea-Arsenal match, so what, was your, what were your thoughts on that one in terms of uh, what you saw on the pitch?
1: Oh, it was just a, a terrible performance from, uh, from Arsenal, who I think, by the way, are more, far more talented relative to the rest of the Premier League than they've been in, in, in the past. So the years that there's been a lot of criticism of Wenger for finishing third or fourth and not really competing for titles. Last year they finished second, but they really didn't compete for the title, right? Uh, Spurs, who finished third, did compete for the title. So in my mind, Arsenal was the third or fourth place team again last year. They have been uh, weaker relative to the rest of the Premier League. They have not had the strongest squad on paper. Maybe they've had the third or fourth best squad. Some years maybe they've had the fifth or sixth best squad and he's gotten them into the top four. I think this season, I look at that squad, and I I think that they've got the best squad in the the division, uh, top to bottom. Now, uh, Wenger is having a problem motivating the players uh, to play in – yeah, look, it's, it's all good and well that you lose to Chelsea, but they lost to Watford right before that, and they should have dropped points against Burnley and got bailed out by the official, as they did at the game in turf, at Turf Moor earlier in the season. Mm-hmm. So again, Arsenal is dropping points. We, last season, when they stayed in the title race for a while, we said, you know, this year they're not dropping points against the, uh, against the teams uh, toward the bottom of the table, uh, so they, they're going to stay in the title race. This year they're doing that. and. I have to point out, I mean, there is constantly this focus, and NBC does it. Uh, uh, NBC has taken it to a new level. Um, Chelsea-Arsenal, you know, title decider, a potential title decider. Manchester City, Manchester United. Uh, uh, Liverpool versus Spurs, possible title decider. The title, almost every season I've followed the Premier League, which is now about 20 years, mm-hmm. has yeah. been decided by whether you drop points to teams um, in the bottom half of the table. That is what decides the, the title. Right. So, for example... Uh, Jose Mourinho's first year back at Chelsea uh in 2013, 2013 2014 season they took 12 points off of Liverpool and Manchester City but those two teams finished first and second and or second and first respectively and Chelsea finished third because they dropped points to the to the teams near the bottom of the table now this season Chelsea lost at Stam- Chelsea got one point against Liverpool Two matches. Uh, they did get three points against Arsenal, but they dropped the other three points. Uh, but they're not dropping points to teams below. Uh, they dropped two points to Swansea early in the season, and I think those are the only two points. Obviously, they lost to Spurs, another top team. I think those are the only two points they've dropped to a team outside the top five this entire season. That is why they're going to win the title. So this match was interesting uh, to watch, and Wenger's in a, unwillingness or inability to change the system, uh, considering he had uh, Cthola... Ramsey, uh, Elneny, and Shaka all out for various reasons, uh, that he decided to just throw Oxlade-Chamberlain into into the role that one of those four guys would fill rather than uh, change the, the, the shape of the team, and it didn't work, clearly. Um, it was fascinating from that perspective, but as a title decider, no. It just kind of puts the cherry on the cake. If, if uh, Chelsea is not going to drop points to lesser teams, this is what happened with Juventus mm. in... in uh, Italy too when Conte was there they would lose games to Roma and they would lose games to Napoli and they would lose or drop points to Napoli and drop points to Roma and drop points to uh the Milan sides and Fiorentina the year Fiorentina was really strong but um they wouldn't drop points to teams at the bottom half of the table it's the same thing that's happening here right. he has a mastery of that keeping his team focused keeping his team sharp and um uh, before we depart this subject I know the, it's become fashionable analysis on NBC to say, "Well, they're not in Champions League." Arlo White said it again a couple times during the course of this match. Uh, that is correct, and he may be right to point that out. But uh, this week, uh, Courtois kind of refuted that, saying, "Look, we're less sharp. There's a sharpness issue of not of only playing once a week versus teams that play twice a week. We um, we have to re- we have to be especially good and train especially hard." Because the teams we're coming up against are playing midweek games and we're not. So uh, that's a counter-argument. Whether that's valid or not, I, I don't know. But that is a, a – it's worth thinking about.
0: Yeah, it's it's a good point. And it's something that uh, I don't think we hear that often in terms of uh, that kind of uh, uh, viewpoint. And, and I actually I agree with Courtois there. Uh, for me, I mean, this one was really kind of uh, the match that's really kind of uh, – showed that this, to me at least, that the Premier League season is over. I mean, nine points ahead. I mean, Chelsea are just, are just like rolling with it. Uh, I, I don't see anyone stopping them. I mean, the only the only one that can stop Chelsea is themselves and the way that they're playing, how organized they are. They look unstoppable at this point. So if there was any hope that uh, of a tight title race, this was it. And Arsenal, I mean, I, as Lee Dixon said many, many times in this match, it was uh, men against boys. Um, what, I, what I did like Kartik was, was actually um, the uh, having Lee Dixon there and, and Graham Lasso. Lee Dixon more so, but Lee Dixon definitely, I mean, former Arsenal player, uh, wasn't um, extremely hard on Arsenal, but definitely was pointing out in terms of just you mean, uh, how disappointing they were. Not, not kind of a Piers Morgan type of rant, but definitely kind of saying that you know, Arsenal just not, not good enough in terms of uh, the mentality and... They didn't seem the commitment in terms of trying to win the ball, uh, just playing very flat, as if they had really very little desire in this game. Um, and I think it was really good to have, have him there, um, not as somebody who's going to just kind of give you kind of the, uh, um, you mean, that the, everything is wonderful, everything is beautiful uh, kind of viewpoint, but more of kind of realistic, okay, here's what's happening, on what I see on the pitch, and, and here's how disappointed I am with Arsenal's performance the other, the other thing kartik too i think in terms of this match um that was good was um well actually i i'll i'll come back come, to that, come back to that a little bit later but but anything else in terms of this match kartik in terms of anything else you saw or thought?
1: during the match no i mean i i i in, in order to kind of handle the analysis of anger, i uh, went back and watched the premier league download which i don't think we discussed on the show that was on Boxing Day, and there was this roundtable of uh, Pierce Morgan and Amy Lawrence, Ian Wright, Martin Keown, and I can't remember one other former Arsenal player. But there was a poignant moment when I rewatched it when uh, Pierce Morgan is railing on Wenger. Now, and I will say Pierce Morgan gave Wenger a lot of praise when they talked about 96-2004, right, or 2005. But then uh, um, the second part of this Premier League download, he was very uh, – very nasty. Martin Keown says, you don't get to decide. Got very angry and said, you don't decide when he goes. He decides when he goes. He's earned that. And Wenger said, then, how much longer? Uh, not Wenger, sorry. Piers Morgan said, how much longer? I mean, this is, it's, we're in this perpetual holding cavern. Ian Wright jumped in and said, he gets three more years. Wow. So that's um, – the former players are all still – the ones even in the media are still kind of behind Wenger, it seems. Uh, Lee Dixon, on the other hand, he hasn't come out and said it, but he seems very critical. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not Stuart Robson, right? I mean, Robson, um, by the way, I mean, Stuart Robson made the prediction that Arsenal will get points in this game on ESPN FC last week. Uh, because he said, well, whenever is back is to the wall and it's time to go, he gets a result. Well, this time he did not So uh, Robo hasn't been back on ESPN FC. I didn't watch last night's show yet, but Monday and Tuesday he hadn't been back on. So uh, I'm curious to hear his, uh, his, his thoughts now. Yeah. But, um, but the point being that um, I think Dixon has, has elevated his commentary to um, a different stage. Now, he's not quite at the stage... Uh, we like to talk about Craig Burley a lot on the show because I love his analysis. He's not yet at the stage where Burley was. When Burley left England and came here to the States to to, re, to start his career with uh, ESPN in the States, it was done partly because he had been shunned by so many of his former Chelsea teammates who had gone into coaching, who had been kind of yes-men and conformists. You know, I, I could even list them for you. I mean, I, the, the entire team that um, Burley played with essentially went into coaching, the Dennis Wises and the Zolas and the uh, Goose Poyettes and, 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 and on and on and on, Rude Hulet, Viali, um, the team that he was with, uh, Glenn Hoddle, right? These are the guys he played with. So um, he was never uh, – he would never pull punches about guys he actually played with. Mm-hmm. Um, Dixon might be crossing – getting close to crossing a line with the Arsenal community. Now, um, I'm not sure – necessarily that the people in the Arsenal community see all his commentary because it's on U.S. television. But that's going to be something interesting to watch because I thought Dixon was getting increasingly close during that telecast. And tell me if you disagree with this, to saying, okay, time is up. And he's never done that before. I think he was getting there by the time we got to... uh, uh, the 80th minute.
0: Yeah, I think it's one of those things that that um, it's it's a fine line because in many ways you want to kind of give analysis but you don't want to be kind of a um, an analyst so to speak. So kind of a studio analyst. You mean if Lee was on in the studio and and you mean know, Rebecca said to him, okay, is is Venga's time up? And Lee would say, I would think Lee would probably say at this point, yes. But as as kind of a co-commentator, uh, it's a different type of role. So you're probably providing match analysis and pointing out observations or things that go well or not so well uh, to kind of paint a picture for the TV viewer. So it's a different type of analysis, and I think if, if Arlo had asked that question, that probably would have overstepped the line. But at the, at the same time... Yeah, I, 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 I think don't the, think he
1: should ask the question. I don't right. think he
0: should put Dixon in that position. Exactly, exactly, because then that kind of like, that kind of taints his his co-commentary for the rest of the season, even if you ever did an Arsenal game again, too, where people are like, ah, he's biased. So, uh, But no, I, I agree with you, Karthik. It was interesting in this match, too, that I just remembered what I was going to say before, too, is that uh, kind of Lee Dixon kind of name-dropping, uh, he was getting texts from Vinnie Jones and David Seaman during the match, and um, some pointed analysis or pointed criticism from those guys, and he was kind of sharing that as far as, again, the men versus boys argument. Um, so even though he wasn't coming out, kind of straightforward and blatantly saying, like, yeah, Wenger has to go. Uh, if you read between the lines, I think he, it, for me, I, I, I agree with you, Kartik. It seemed to be that he's kind of he's kind of leaning in, on that side of the camp. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, and that's the thing, too, for this match. I mean, it was a game that uh, Chelsea was in command, um, and it's pretty much what Arsenal didn't do in this game, which is more the talking point in terms of just their performance, which was pretty weak except for the beginning of the game. So some of the other analysis some of the other games I saw this past weekend. I going and jump around a little bit. Um, I saw midweek. I saw the Barcelona against uh, Atleti uh, Copa del Rey match, uh, the second leg, and uh, this was from Camp Nou uh, commentary by Phil Shane and Ray Hudson, and it was an enthralling second leg. It was really really good game. It was uh, Atleti with a better performance in the first half, uh, but it was a great matchup between both sides. It was a really kind of even even match. Uh, in the second half, and we've seen this now in, in the last few weeks, at least. And this happens every year, really, kind of some bad refereeing, um, especially in La Liga, but, but it, it happens in the Premier League too. But Atleti had a goal that was ruled uh, offside; uh, it should have counted. Um, then he got a penalty, and Kevin Guerrero uh, uh, blasted it over the top. So uh, Atleti should have scored that; it should have taken that uh, scored then. But then. Gamera scored again, uh, scored, scored to tie the leg, second leg 1 1. Um, and that's how it ended. It ended 1 1, and with Barcelona getting the 3 uh, 2 aggregate uh, victory. And then they go through now to play in the final against uh, Alaves. But uh, really, really good match, and, and wasn't a lot going on midweek in terms of football from around the world, but uh, that one was one I enjoyed. And Kartik, how about you? Any other games or any other? Matches, well, you
1: know, my my weekend was geared around um, Dortmund versus Leipzig because there's so much so much in it, right? Uh, not only was it a top of the table clash in Germany, but it's this um uh, there was a lot of talk that that there were going to be a number of BVB fans that BVB fans that didn't show and in protest of Leipzig and the corporate structure. And look, we've talked about this. I mean, I've talked about it on Twitter ad nauseum through the years, the whole Leipzig thing. And I, I remain very conflicted about Red Bull Leipzig or Red Bull Rossenball Sport Leipzig, as they're officially known, RB Leipzig. <laughs> it, it, it was... Um, a bit over the top, I think, the protests from the Dortmund fans. I mean, there was a self righteous nature to this idea of community and fan ownership that I didn't quite get until you and I went to Germany a year and a half ago. And I came in, and you, you can attest to this, Chris, with this thing well, I don't want to even see Labour crews and they're a corporate club. They're not a, a people's club. Let's go to Schalke, let's go to Dortmund. This is where uh, this is community, this is football. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is what they should be doing around the world. That was my impression, that the German clubs, and this is a lot of reading David Kahn and people like that who think that uh, the entire football structure should be modeled on what German community clubs do, and Dortmund being the biggest of them. Like, Dortmund has this massive following. They um, have the second biggest following in the country and probably the most um, vocal fans, them and Schalke. Um, what I found on the trip was that Leverkusen was a lot more of a people's club and uh, kind of a on the surface thing than I had thought. And, um, Schalke was a lot more corporate than I had thought. So extrapolating this, that to this, there should not be, it's difficult in the, in the current scheme where everything is dictated by money for a club from a, from an economically impoverished area like Leipzig to be successful without this sort of backing. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and, I mean Leipzig is such a new club that um they don't even have their logo on the Soccer Way app on, on um on uh <laughs> on the I- I- iOS right. because they're 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 newer than most MLS clubs and, and some fans don't realize this club was actually founded in 2009 but um the game became all about the protests about the signage in in in, in the uh in the stadium, uh, it is the, uh, the, the largest stadium in Germany. The, uh, Dortmund, uh, Munich has more fans overall, but Dortmund has a more intense following, so it's the, the most intense fans. It's like your Liverpool, if you want an English comparison. And um, it kind of drowned out the match, a match that was pretty good but ended in controversy. I think it was the right call, the offside call, um, that disallowed the Leipzig goal in stoppage time. But it was ever so close. And Dortmund wins 1 0, which uh, brings them into third. Now Leipzig falls four points behind Bayern. Um, Bayern Schalke was an interesting game. I watched that as well. And.
0: Um, Ekarte. Bayern? Ekarte. Yeah. Before we go on, uh, so the, so the Dortmund Leipzig game, I, I missed it, I didn't see it. Um, and how much analysis or discussion was there by the Fox crew in terms of kind of the topics that you've just talked, talked about in terms of... Kind of- not, not
1: as much as there should have been, but it, it, it was there because it was
0: too noticeable to not talk about it. Um,
1: but, you know, the analysis was, some, was, was very basic, which was basically, well, hey, this is the, um, this is the way it is in Germany. There's a, there's a great passion for supporter-driven clubs and community-based clubs, and uh, Eric Rinald didn't want to offer uh, commentary on the the specifics of Red Bull Leipzig, which is smart, but mm-hmm. he talked about how, yeah, this is kind of the, uh, this, this, this is a, this is a po- vocal po- focal point. This is a, a touch point. Then when, uh, when I was, uh, um, playing in Germany, there was resistance to Wolfsburg. There was always comments about Leverkusen. You know, these, these clubs don't belong. Right. And, um, Volkswagen very much did this in the 90s, when, and it was, it was a period when they signed a lot of Americans. Uh, Claudia Reyna played for them, Brian McBride played for them, and uh, Chad Deering played for them, among others. I think maybe Jovan Karofsky might have played for them, too. Um, but there were a bunch of guys that, um, that played for them that were Americans, but they popped up and, and did very well in the league for a couple of years out of nowhere uh, at a time when Volkswagen was doing particularly well in their business. So... Right. Um, I th- there's always been this kind of talk but Leipzig Red uh, RB Leipzig is to a whole other level and um I think I th- we th- could th- do a whole pod on this right. so we you know we'll move on
0: I th- well, I think the difference though uh, so by by Leverkusen who's owned by Bayer uh Ober The uh, aspirin company, and then Wolfsburg, which is owned by, you mean really owned by these? These have a lot of fan supports, but also owned by Volkswagen. To me, I mean, the difference with those two versus RB Leipzig is that they're they began as workers' teams.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, oh yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Versus Leipzig, which is kind of, you mean, in terms of more more of a corporate kind of commercialized structure that that someone's just trying to, you mean buy a team and take, take them all the way, which they're doing really, really well. So so the the final result in this match, was it? Uh, they, they
1: have, by the way, Leipzig has, uh, I think, something like 18 members. That's it. That's, you know, and they're all wow. Apple employees. So they're not, uh, yeah, they're like an American sports franchise or like uh, really like half the teams in England now, which are kind of the owned by these oligarchies. But, yeah, it's very, it's. Just to f- conclude for our listeners, it is a very foreign concept in Germany to have a club like that. It may be natural in the US or, or England now, but it's very
0: foreign in, in, in Germany. Uh, and, continue. And in contact, the final result in this game, was, was it a draw or is it a win? For no, you?
1: no, it was 1-0 Dortmund. Okay.
0: Again, it was because of that, that late controversial offside
1: call. I think the Leipzig uh, attacker had maybe uh, led with his arm a little bit and was, his hand was offside. I guess would be how to describe it. I mean, it was that close, but, um, the right call, although you're always told when in doubt, um, the official should side with the attacker, which, um, is, uh, is, uh, is something that keeps getting peppered. And we're going to get to this in a minute, but keeps getting peppered on Peter Walton. Every time he gets, comes on the (laughs) ESPN FC, uh, studio, he comes on once a week and, um, Burley and and, and Nickel and Moreno are always at Hislop when he's on. Are basically always saying, "Hey, you you say that uh, in a tie, the advantage goes to the runner, right?" That's always been the um, the, the the thought process. Why is this offside? But um, you, I think he was slightly
0: off. I think it was the right call. Do, do you want to go there as far as like the um, the ESPN? Yeah. And so
1: saw. so and I know and, and I know you watched this game, uh, Burley was just adamant that there is no possible uh, counter-argument to Raheem Sterling being fouled by Fabianski and it being a penalty. I mean, he, th- he thought Swan- that... The Swansea-Manchester
0: City game. Yeah, right? and the
1: Swansea-Manchester City game. It's clear as the night of day. Uh, he said the same thing about the, the Sterling foul, which I think we all agree on. Even Kyle Walker agrees he took him down against Tottenham a, a few weeks earlier, and that was, uh, should have been a, a, a not only a penalty but a sending off. But this was a little grayer. Now, it turned out Nicol and Moreno agreed with Burley, but Burley was adamant when Walton said, no, it's really, it's, it's not a foul, uh, and, and it's a dive. He's embellishing the contact. Um, Burley was adamant. He said, wait a second. So Fabianski comes in his line. He's running. He's made a 30-yard run or whatever at full speed. How is he supposed to get out of the way? Mm-hmm. And it became, now, unfortunately, the idea was to bring Walton on to discuss... All of these controversial calls—I'm sure they would have shown the Leipzig one. Uh, they never got to it because Burley was just so adamant about this this call, this this uh, call, which became which was ruled by Mike Dean a die by Sterling, which he believes was a penalty—that um, they never got past that one issue. But that was uh, that was interesting television also because they had talked about it similarly in the NBC studio, and um, I can't remember if it. If it was the same consensus that it was a penalty, but they certainly um, Martino must have worn as adamant and as Burley was. Right. Um, and, and for me, I'm not sure it was very close, but there just seems to be a consistent pattern with Raheem Sterling not getting calls. Going back to the League Cup semifinals last season against uh, Everton – And then uh, a couple of other games, which may have cost Manuel Pellegrini his job, or maybe they were going to bring Guardiola in Mm -hmm. anyway. But this seems to be a consistent pattern where Sterling has developed a reputation. And I don't want to get too deep into this today and get Liverpool fans uh, coming after me. But (laughs) I think so much of it has been a media narrative since he left Liverpool. And and, um, I'm trying to ascertain what it is. Uh, our, our former colleague, Lawrence McKenna, who's, a, even though he's a Liverpool fan, is a, quite a big Sterling fan, thinks that there's a, a hint of racism in it, perhaps, uh, but it just seems to be a consistent pattern where uh, there's been a media campaign against them, and now the officials all have in their mind that he's a diver on the level of a Jamie Vardy. Jamie Vardy, who doesn't get calls anywhere, also gets the same kind of treatment, but for probably more justified reasons, or Aryan Robb and that kind of level diver, when I don't think Sterling
0: is at that level. I, I think part of it, though, too, with uh, Raheem Sterling is, is just his speed and, and just just that burst of pace. So Yeah, it's it, tough to officiate when a guy's yeah, that fast. Exactly. And for me, in this particular match, um, no way should he got, have gotten a yellow card. I, I, I didn't think it was a dive. I, I thought it was more terms of kind of he was reacting to Fabianski coming out really fast and kind of just basically jumped to avoid contact because, you mean, if he'd stayed on his feet, he would have got... You are going to be smushed, <laughs> for lack of a better word. But, so whether or not that's a penalty or not, um, I would have to look at the referees and say, okay, well, they they obviously know more about the rules of the game than I do. Um, I thought it would have been harsh, but I would have not been um, uh, surprised if, if a penalty had been awarded. You I mean, And especially with penalties, too. It doesn't have to be or fouls. It doesn't have to be contact for for there to be a, a foul ruled. Um but, um, but yeah, I thought Sterling getting the yellow card was, was ridiculous. Uh, and so,
1: you know, this kind of, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your perspective, brings us to a whole other topic. And I'm sure we'll get more into this in another show. But this week, Howard Webb was hired by Major League Soccer and PRO, which is Peter Walton, um, to, to uh, really kick off a video referee program, which Webb will head up. Mm-hmm. That kind of call would be reviewed over and over again. Now, does that just completely destroy a game? Think about it. I mean, I think it's, 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 yeah. it, it's interesting to be talking about this this week because MLS, I, I wasn't sure how serious MLS was about it, but the hiring of Howard Webb indicates that they're very serious about it. Yeah. Very, very serious about it. They hired one of the best referees in the world, now retired, but one of the biggest names to head this up. Um, will that fundamentally change the game?
0: Yeah. Um, I'm a little bit concerned it might. It, it, it's so subjective, though. And, and that's the thing. Even when we we're watching uh, games and whatever incident happens, and we as TV viewers watch it, and we see it in real time, and we go, ah, penalty. And then we see a replay from one particular angle. go Oh, wait a second. Maybe that, there wasn't contact. And then we see a different angle from that, from that same incident, and we go, oh, no, 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 yeah, in slow-mo, we can see exactly that that was intentional and that should have been a penalty, or whatever the case may be. But, but it's, it's, it's very subjective, it's very, very difficult sometimes, to even in slow-mo, to go, okay, did that person, yes, there was contact, but did that person dive? I mean, it, it, a lot. I mean, it's going I mean, to, yeah. to make it a, real, a lot harder in these. And, games. and the thing I've
1: learned about referees through the years, at least the very prominent public ones like the Webs, like the Graham Polls, and like the Keith Hacketts, is that they they don't necessarily they're forced when they officiate to interpret rules, but they don't necessarily agree with all the rules. So I don't know what video refereeing brings in a subjective side of that. I'll just give you this one example: there was obviously the the controversial Luis Suarez handball in the Ghana uruguay world cup uh, quarterfinal in 2010 mm-hmm. Graham poll went out and wrote in the, in the paper the next day he said look i unfortunately the rules don't make sense if a guy does that on the goal line it should be a goal i've advocated that for years i still think fifa needs to change that rule and to me that was shocking coming from a referee yep. saying hey you know you if it were up to him and he were making the rules that would just be an automatic goal because a guy deliberately sticks his hand yeah uh Out, He said there's no potential remedy for the situation because if you're a player and it's the 120th minute and he was right, you take that chance and hope the guy misses the penalty, which Guillaume did. So Paul said this is a rule change you need to make. And I've read Keith Hackett say there are rules changes you need to make. I've read Howard Webb say that. Now Howard Webb is going to be doing the video side of the game in the United States. Does Does he begin to bring some of those subjective thoughts into having the overall power to maybe change things? Um, that's a good question too. And, and, um, I don't know, I think on the whole video was probably a good thing, but there, just always these questions I, I have about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and I agree with you. I think it's a good thing, but it needs to be, I think the biggest thing is there needs to be consistency. So if you have a video assistant referees, which, which the Bundesliga is going to be doing too, uh, I'm guessing the premier league will probably be doing it pretty quickly, uh, soon too, especially if MLS is uh, going ahead and going to start, uh, Using that, I think in in the All Star Game is kind of probably the first time we'll see it uh, at least on TV. But um, there needs to be consistency. So there's no good having video assistant referees if there's inconsistent rulings made, because then, I mean, having technology does that really help in that regard? Um, So I think when, if and well, when it happens, there needs to be a a clear, precise kind of uh, maybe some rule changes to accommodate, to, to make sure that it is as equal and as fair and consistent as, as it should be and, and, and can be, because uh, otherwise it's just going to be more controversy in terms of why did this one video assistant referee award it this way in this particular match, and then in the next game, a different person awarded it differently. Um, it's just going to be a, a hornet's nest. So Karthik, th- uh, unless you have anything else on what we've been watching, uh, you ready to move on? I sure am. Okay, cool. All right, so let's move on to the next segment, which is our TV streaming news. Uh, big news this week, and uh, we just announced it on Wednesday, and that is that uh, Fubo TV in the US has launched their new product. So uh, we first talked about this, I think, I think back in December. Uh, but what they've done is they've launched two new, new products. So the first one is called Fubo Premier, a uh, Fubo Premier. Uh, depending on how you pronounce it. And that has almost everything. It has uh, SN. it has FS1, FS2, it has Fox Soccer Plus, which is a big one, Um, and also it has a ton of other channels from Fox, uh, Fox, NBC, uh, the Over the Air Networks, as well as uh, CNBC, USA, uh, FX, I think FX Movies, so a ton and ton of channels, most of them sports channels, uh, but also a lot of entertainment news channels, et cetera. Uh, the pricing on this is 34.99 a month, and uh, the regular price is I think 45 dollars a month. So this one is kind of your cord cutting solution. So if you've been contemplating cutting the cord with your cable or satellite company, uh, this is the one to consider in terms of what they're offering. And the price point that they're doing it at. All you would need then is just an internet connection. Um, the only caveat at this point is that um, NBC Sports app and the Premier League Extra Time, which is very similar in both what they do. But but those matches are not on uh, Fubo Premier at this time. But they do plan on adding those very shortly. So as soon as we hear that news, once they add those, we'll be sure to let you know. But So that's the first product. They also have another product called uh, Fubo Latino, and this is a very Spanish-language-heavy uh, focus. So this is your Univision Deportes, uh, Telemundo, Fox Deportes, uh, NBC Universo, and uh, Galavision, and a bunch of other, other Spanish-language, uh, mostly sports channels, some, some entertainment channels, too. Uh, Univision, of course, uh, too, uh, and Unimas. So that one is 14.99 a month, um, and that one is definitely something that, excuse me, if you're into Spanish language, you want to watch Spanish language uh, football or commentary, that's the one for you. They also have a Fubo uh, Portuguese, uh, which is the, um, the Portuguese coverage of the Premier League, and that one is 19.99 a month, and that has all the Portuguese games as well as some uh, Portuguese. Um, uh, shows also and programs and networks also, too. So there, there you go. There's the Fubo news. Uh, it's available on a 24-hour free trial. And I'm going to be testing it this weekend and see how it is. So I'm going to be watching my FS1 and NBCSN and uh, all those games uh, and more uh, on Fubo. Hopefully hopefully it'll be, it'll be good. I'm looking forward to it. So, Kartik, what are the news is out there in the TV stream, streaming news space?
1: Yeah, and by the way, I think we all got that Fubo... Um... Email yesterday and was very tempted until I realized I get all those channels on my cable system and have to talk about it with my wife. The idea of cord cutting and uh, yeah. and, and just uh, bulking up, but it was just it was, I saw that 34.99 for all those channels. My goodness, you can't get a better deal than that. So I actually need to scrutinize my cable bill and see what I'm paying for. But um, back to what we to something we talked about earlier: the trio of Arlo White, Lee Dixon, and Graham Leso. Uh, will be in a three-man booth again this week for the big Liverpool Spurs game on NBC, and uh, seemingly the three-man booth has really worked. Uh, the dynamic between Dixon and Lasso, in particular, has become very seamless. Uh, they play off each other very well, and uh, it was uh, it, it's useful to have those two, both those perspectives, uh, which are kind of different perspectives. But I think what we've seen is Lusso get elevated. Dixon is one of the best uh, commentators around in the U.K. or in the U.S. or around the global feed. And uh, Lusso has been elevated to really quite a high level uh, working with Dixon, I think. And, and, um, again, it's unfortunate that Graham Lusso couldn't get a job commentating on football in the U.K., but I think there's been a great benefit to American viewers to have him. So, uh, again, uh, this will be the fourth match in two weeks where the th- trio uh, worked together instead of the kind of rotation we've seen of um, of one or the other p- pairing with Arlo White. And then if there was a, another important game in a weekend, they would have uh, Bauer paired with, uh, uh, with with the other.
0: Yeah, the, chemi- the chemistry between these three is re- is really good. And, and actually, in some, I think there's a lot of people, a lot of listeners will probably agree with this, there's a lot of people that like Arlo White and there's a lot of people that don't like Arlo White in terms of he talks too much. But I think having them as a trio, um, the chemistry is really good between them. And uh, to me, like when NBC first announced the uh, their coverage, well, well, three years ago now. Um, four years ago now. Four almost. years. Oh, my gosh. Time flies. <laughs> Graham Lusso, I, I thought, was better than Lee Dixon at that point in time. And that was just from listening to him on, on TalkSport and, and, and other programs. Um, and then now, and then for a while, I thought they were equal. Uh, And for now, I think Lee Dixon's ahead of Lusso in terms of analysis and also also sense of humour. I think that helps a lot too. Um, But Lusso still does work. I mean, from time to time, I'll see him doing some stuff for BBC Sports uh, in the UK. So he does more kind of sit-down kind of thought pieces or uh, interview pieces. He does a different type of work than, say, Lee Dixon, which is more... Actually, Lee Dixon does too. Lusso actually comes on
1: some... um general kind of society discussion programs and yeah. political programs from time to time
0: yeah he's a very intelligent guy for sure and i'm sure lee dixon and Oliver White are too but but lusso takes it to a different level uh very sophisticated very intelligent um definitely a thinking thinking man's footballer and um i i enjoy all three listening to them and the chemistry of them working together i think i think it's great um, but uh, we shall see so we'll, we'll see, how, see how they do on the liverpool spurs game which should be well should be a good one but like you said Kartik i mean, you mean I, I think the, the premier league title race is over um, moving on Kartik in terms of other news this is really not eh, this is news i guess it is but for those uh, avid or very um, i guess observant uh, viewers uh, bn sports have changed their look and feel and they've changed the logo so this is something that they've been doing for like, the last couple of weeks. They've kind of rolled it out. But uh, if you pay attention to it, you'll see kind of the BN Sports logo, that, kind of the bug in the top right-hand corner is more sophisticated, a little bit more sleeker, uh, thinner. Um, but what the big change is, though, for me at least, is um, watching the matches themselves in terms of the graphics that come up uh, at the be- beginning of the game with you know, the team names and you know, whenever someone scores a goal, um, as well as the score bug kind of the score line in the top left corner they've they've enhanced and improved all of those and, and actually the design of it looks a lot better it looks really modern uh mbc's a lot of people complain it's too big but NBC's actually even NBC's have changed there's little by little small enhancements but the b in sports one if you haven't caught it yet take a look this weekend you'll see kind of a, a new and improved uh graphics on screen and for those who watch as much soccer as we do and, and our listeners do, I think it's something that we'll we'll definitely notice more than uh, the average person on the streets who who may not notice or, or, or care. And Karthik, any Karthik, any other news?
1: Yeah, so uh, Mike Tirico is going to replace Bob Costas as the host of the Olympic Games on NBC, beginning with the Winter Games in 2018. Uh, that's an interesting... Uh, very interesting change actually of a surprising in some ways but Tariq uh, Tarico uh, didn't go to NBC to sit around right and uh, he, he's had I, I don't watch the NFL I guess maybe he's had a role in their NFL coverage but uh, he, the only thing I've seen him on uh, that's not Olympic related is the British Open uh, the Open Championship which uh, he hosted for years on ABC and ESPN and has just kind of continued in that role with NBC but I haven't seen him really contribute to, to, to other coverage. So that's, uh, that, that, that's, uh, an interesting side note. Now, unfortunately they don't have any major, uh, soccer tournaments to, for him to host because obviously, uh, World Cup 10, uh, World Cup 14, Euro 16, uh, Tirico was one of the primary hosts for ESPN, but, but, um, Perhaps he can be used and in, fill in, in, in the soccer role if NBC acquires more properties uh, going forward. You know, he would love to uh, to do another World Cup or two. Uh, doesn't look like that's on the horizon for NBC, but uh, who knows? And, and uh, again, this this might be a chance to remind our, our, our listeners that uh, Fox does have the rights for 2026 also, and that uh, there is going to be bidding on 2026 in other countries, uh, World Cup rights. But in, in the U.S., they were given... Uh, some sort of concessional extension because of the cover uh, situation it being in the winter. So uh, but it'll be a while before NBC and ESPN have another crack at, at a World Cup.
0: Right. Yeah. And for those listeners who are from overseas, I mean Bob Costas is kind of the granddaddy of uh, sports coverage in the in the U.S. I mean definitely yeah. kind of at, at the height there. So for Mike Tirico, with his, um, I mean he does a, a t- he's done a ton of other sports, but he's definitely done a lot of soccer coverage for him, him to step into the shoes of Bob Costas for the 2018, that, that's a big deal. Okay, Karthik, let's move on to TV ratings. And uh, feel free to interject as I go through here and kind of give a listeners some updates on what's been happening. Uh, something that that, um, that we've been doing the last couple of weeks is kind of drawing a lot of comparisons between the uh, Friday broadcasts of the Bundesliga um, compared to the championship and... Um, the last couple of weeks on the Bundesliga had some really poor ratings on the Fridays. One of them was, uh, it was the the presidential inauguration, although that happened earlier in the day, but still a lot of people were distracted. Um, And then I think last weekend, if I remember last Friday, the the match wasn't, uh, wasn't your Bayern Munich's uh, kind of uh, playing on a Friday. So, so those numbers were kind of uh, not as good, not as strong as they usually would be normally. Well, not that strong, but you know what I mean? Uh, Anyway, so For last Friday, we had a championship game that was on BN Sports, and uh, that was Wigan against Sheffield Wednesday. And did that do better than the Bundesliga, which was on FS2, which was Hamburg against Leverkusen? So it came close. So Wigan against Sheffield Wednesday had uh, 20,000 viewers, while uh, Hamburg against uh, Leverkusen had uh, 26,000 on FS2. And we should note that uh, FS2 is in, in, in more than twice as many homes as BN sports. You've got 50 million on uh, FS2 compared to 23 million on BN sports. So not too shabby for the championship to almost get as many viewers as a Bundesliga game on FS2. Um, and, of course, we've talked about FS2 in the past, too. It's kind of the last bastion of uh, soccer coverage. It's just one of those channels that, I mean, of those people who get it, not a lot of people watch it. Karthik, any other uh, TV ratings from the weekend that uh, stood out for you?
1: Yeah, so uh, 445,000 people tuned on uh, turned on at 7:30 a.m. It used to be 7:45 a.m. Eastern time uh, to watch Chelsea Arsenal. That 15 minutes, I keep I keep forgetting actually, and we'll turn on for the last bit of pregame and realize the game is kicking off. Uh, it happened again in th- with this one. Uh, so 445,000 viewers tuned in to watch that. That's a little bit disappointing. Uh, quite honestly, we've seen um, um, more. Um, we've seen more viewers for, for early morning games in the past, uh, including eight, seven years ago in 2010, when uh, close to 600,000 viewers watched uh, a Manchester United Chelsea game on ESPN2 that started at 7:45 a.m. So this was, all things considered, a sort of a disappointing rating. However, more people continued to watch after the game. The um, NBCSN uh, pregame show, which you told me you, were, you had to mute because of uh, uh, the, the excellent adventure that you were trying to follow on Facebook, right. uh, 340,000 then watched the uh, USA-Jamaica game, which was on in prime time on FS1 the previous night uh, at 338,000. Uh, I will admit I did not watch a minute of either U.S. game, <laughs> the Serbia game or the Jamaica yeah. game, these, uh, these January-slash-early-February friendlies, which are not on FIFA dates, Uh, don't really uh, bother me very much. I've read all the analysis of the matches, so I know kind of who who, from people's opinions played well and who didn't. But uh, just uh, when there was a a lot of soccer on television, that that, that was not a priority. Now, I will watch the national team games in March, but I'm among the people that would have created that ratings dip because that is a very low number for a U.S. men's national team game, particularly in prime time.
0: Yeah, and especially. I mean, even
1: BN, even BN gets higher numbers when they're showing these random U.S. games that they mm-hmm. at Central American countries that they picked up uh, a piecemeal the rights to. So right. that that was a very low
0: rating. Yeah, which everyone always complains whenever BN Sports has the USA games because they like, ah, you I mean nobody gets BN Sports? But then yet, yeah, I mean, people
1: find a way to watch it
0: still. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But but yeah, they're still pretty. Enlightening, though, that the Premier League live show, kind of basically the pre-match analysis, or post-match Chelsea-Arsenal, but pre-match, the 10 o'clock games, will get more viewers on a Saturday morning, between 9.30 and 10 o'clock, than the, than the USA-Jamaica game would on, on a Friday night, in prime time on FS1, even though the USA-Jamaica game was I mean, far, far less relevant. Um, but that at, the, at the same time, too, and we alluded to this last week, that's the challenge for the Bundesliga. The Bundesliga games kick off at 9:30 on a uh, Saturday morning. Um, but the challenge is, is at the same time, there's pre-match analysis, and NBC does such a good job—not perfect by any means—but definitely a good job of that. That pre-match, post-match analysis. That you I mean you want to keep on watching and see what's happening there. So, so big, big challenges for the Bundesliga, um, but also for the USA. I missed that game too, Kartik. I think Friday night I was out, but I was hoping to watch it to see how Landon Donovan did and kind of that, that uh, as part of the trio for the commentary. But I, I'm I'm with you too in terms of. Um, I mean, there's so much coverage to choose from that I'm being more selective and kind of choosing the games that really <laughs> interest me. Yeah, and and uh, ESPN FC had a good lead
1: into the game with on, the, on ESPN FC program with Santiago Salazar hosting and Eric Gomez coming in uh, for that segment. And uh, I, again, I, I don't know. I mean, Gomez was uh, okay on Fox, but uh, I'm, I'm fi- finding more value for him already in his two weeks on ESPN. I, again, I, I mean, I, maybe I talk about this topic ad nauseum, but I think so much of how we judge commentators ends up being based on the atmosphere they're in and where they're placed. And, I just kinda of wish Landon Donovan had gone to ESPN as had been rumored uh several months ago because I think he really would have excelled in that
0: environment. He, he still might though. So I don't think uh he signed a contract yet with F S one. It might have been just a or Fox Sports. Might have been just kind of a, a one game deal and uh that's still probably on the cards. So I wouldn't be surprised if ESPN and uh Fox Sports are basically kind of negotiating and just trying to trying to convince uh, Donovan to come come to their side so so we shall see what happens there I, th- I think fs1 fox sports has the advantage in terms of the amount of coverage that they have and the, the amount of rights that they have which is uh, far greater than the espn so but at the end of the day for landon it might come down to the money and let's see who offers uh, the, the most uh, enticing package moving on to the next segment Karthik, uh, listener mailbag we've got a, a couple of uh, messages that came through th- through twitter the first one is from uh, dave brunk who's one of our listeners and uh, he's got two two questions, Karthik. Uh, the first one I'll ask to you, he says, uh, I'm interested in your opinion if MLS is concerned about Houston and Dallas impacted by a potential San Antonio team.
1: Yes. Uh, that keeps being the pushback argument, one of the two pushback arguments I get against putting a team in San Antonio, the other being that uh, it's too small a general television market, 32nd in the country. However, as I pointed out last week, it's the seventh largest Hispanic TV market, which is something that keeps being uh, forgotten about by uh, those who, who analyze it, and, and I think that's very important to Major League Soccer. That's why they have yet to give up on Miami, the Miami-Fort Lardo market, which is uh, third on that Hispanic rating. I, I do think that that is a concern. I, I keep hearing you cannot have three teams in Texas, but I don't think that that's a hard and fast rule, and San Antonio, as I point out, is the is one of only a handful of markets in the country. And it's a really small list. Maybe it's the only one actually that has consistently supported a lower division team with at least 7,000 fans a game, even when the team isn't playing well, uh, even when the team is not successful on the field, it's, it might be a list of one, one city. And then they have the ownership and they have uh, the politicians behind them and they have the stadium. I I think it's uh I think it would be very difficult to keep San Antonio out. But um, that is uh, – Dave, Dave um, asked a very serious question because that is the pushback. And you see it in just about every article about expansion.
0: And sometimes competition is good. Sometimes it, it, it can yeah, actually help. Yeah, and, and uh, for those
1: seems... who don't know the geography of Texas, I should point this out. Texas is this huge state. right? It's bigger than most countries. However, the actual um, – distance between San Antonio, Dallas, Houston, and Austin, the four primary cities in the state, is not very far. Uh, so San Antonio is, is three hours from Houston. It's three, three and a half hours from Dallas. It's not very far.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, Karthik, and, and Dave Brunk also has another question. He says, uh, also, I'm curious which football podcast you all enjoy. I regularly listen to Will Soccer Talk, uh, Football Weekly from The Guardian, BBC Five Lives, Football Daily, and the football show uh, on and off the ball. Uh, any others you would recommend?
1: That pretty much covers it, although I think what's happened to me is since, uh, and this goes back again to so so much was pivotal that happened uh, in the summer of 2013. NBC got the Premier League rights and ESPN decided to launch the ESPN FC show. I think for me, because I watch ESPN FC probably as religiously as anyone, uh, I, my podcast listenership has dropped off on, on, uh, football podcast, but five live, I I mentioned earlier in the show, I'm not listening to it as much as, as I used to. And and I used to listen to it uh, regularly. Uh, The guardian football weekly, uh, I would listen to regularly. I still listen to it occasionally. So that's uh, that's another good one. And uh, there are, there were a smattering of other podcasts out there uh, about uh, European football. And um, there seems to be a cottage industry developing of more American kind of local flavor podcasts maybe um, geared towards specific teams or specific leagues.
0: And for me, I just pulled up my iTunes playlist to see kind of which, which podcasts I have on there that uh, haven't already been mentioned. The two that jump out are um, the Spurs show and I'm no Spurs sports supporter by any means. Yeah. Yeah. That's
1: actually a very good one. Yeah.
0: (laughs) But I enjoy that. It's, it's actually um, uh, Paolo Hewitt who's on a, who's a, who's a journalist. Uh, He's often, often got some uh, interesting takes um, I just like personally um, listening to Spurs supporters because you get so much of the opposites. You get the extreme negatives, uh, and you get the positives in terms of everything that Pochettino is doing. Uh, I just think the podcast is—it's pretty simple, nothing, nothing special. But I enjoy listening to it, and uh, it's always interesting takes on that one. Um, and then the second thing is is uh, the Football Attic. So this is kind of one of my uh, ones I, I enjoy. Uh, and the Football Attic, usually it's, it's maybe like once every couple of weeks or once every few weeks I put up a podcast. Uh, it usually focuses on uh, football kits, and sometimes we'll talk about different topics, uh, kind of nostalgia, whether it's like subudio or, or something else, uh, but it's run by Chris Oakley. Um, from um, oh gosh, I forgot the name of the the, the podcast. The, the, we
1: are uh, uh,
0: some people on the pitch. Which
1: ah, is what yes, he did yes. years and years ago. Yes, yes,
0: yes. So he's now living in New Zealand, and uh, I really enjoy that. I really enjoy the podcast. So if you're into nostalgia and kind of uh, back in I don't know 70s, 80s uh, English soccer, or just some interesting takes on football kit designs and kind of what's happening from you know everything from. Umbro to Puma to Nike to uh, Under Armour etc uh that's definitely a great podcast to listen to i highly recommend it okay Kartik. so let's move on one more question actually from the listener mailbag this is from robert hay junior and uh it's this is more of a statement okay he says four hour super bowl and not one ad for a fox soccer property multiple for daytona 500 and silly-looking APB show. Is APB um, bowling? Oh, yeah, I, I don't know. American <laughs> professional bowling, I guess, maybe. Maybe, hey, maybe. I, Rob Stone would know, I know. But, so, Cacat, so what's, what's, ta- yeah. <laughs> what's your take on this? I didn't even know Fox had that. What's your take on, on uh, Robert's uh, observation?
1: Yeah, I think it's very serious. I mean, NBC had the uh, Super Bowl. They were promoting the Premier League very actively. And uh, Fox, they can't be bothered it's um, it's disappointing because I think they have um, a month now until MLS season kicks off and they could have promoted Major League Soccer returning to Fox on the next day on FS1. They could have done that. They could have promoted their Champions League is restarting in, in, in 10 days. They didn't do that. Uh, look, uh, ESPN – There's a lot of criticism of ESPN by MLS fans saying, well, they promote uh, other soccer properties more. And this was always the critique, right, when they had the Premier League, before the Premier League rights went to NBC, that ESPN promoted the Premier League more than they promote – MLS. Well, yeah, there is more of a mainstream acceptance on SportsCenter if you're promoting an Arsenal versus Chelsea game versus, uh, you know, uh, Kansas City versus uh, whoever, Columbus. I will admit there was some snobbishness about that on ESPN, but they are promoting MLS. They have the Orlando City-New York game on March 5th, the kickoff, the first game of the season. They're already promoting that game on various ESPN programs. So for Fox not to do it during the Super Bowl was was pretty... uh, uh, Egregious in, in, in my uh, from where I sit, and uh, uh, NBC promotes soccer during all their programs. I mean, right. I, I happened to be in a uh, in a restaurant that they were showing an NHL game um, a couple a couple weeks ago, when they were when there was a promotion for the Premier League. So um, it's it's uh, it's a matter of culture and attitude at the networks, and I think we we learned a lot, or I shouldn't say learned a lot; it confirmed a lot of our fears and suspicions about Fox?
0: In Fox's defense, I will, I will say that one of our, um I guess, listeners or readers on, uh, on Twitter did say that there was a, a World Cup trophy shown pregame. I, I didn't see it, so I don't know if it was just kind of like in the background they had the World Cup trophy. Uh, so that there's that. Um, I will also say that, uh, according to our listeners and readers, uh, that uh, Fox supporters in their Super Bowl coverage um, had a few different soccer ads and uh, I think I'll end it there for, for, in Fox's defense. But it, it is one of those things, though, too, that, that even like yesterday, I think it was the Leicester Derby game, the FA Cup replay, which the first half was horrible, the second half was great. But um, within that show, halftime, they were doing kind of like, hey, here's what's coming up on, on Major League Soccer, and here's what's coming up on the, the preview for the Bundesliga, and also post-match, kind of a lot of... Again, so within the soccer broadcasts on Fox Soccer, uh, Fox Sports, FS1, FS2. They're doing a lot of kind of um, trying to build the audience for MLS and for the Bundesliga. But same, same old complaint that we've always had is that um, not a lot of people are watching. I mean, if you're a soccer fan, you're probably going to be watching those games for the most part anyway, and you're going to know about it. But for outside of that community, for those people that are casual fans or maybe don't know a lot about soccer or want to learn about it, I mean, the Super Bowl would be the i mean show... English language to at least have maybe maybe fifteen seconds. At the same time though too, I mean that that the the value of those fifteen seconds is is enormous. I mean we know from the overtime, just the Super Bowl going into overtime that I think Fox Sports generated twenty million dollars in extra revenue. So it's it's from Fox's point of view. It's, it's a dollar sign. It's, you mean. It's so, but then again, at, at the same time, I don't want to go on forever about this, but at the same time, uh, was it NBC Sports? On Monday, uh, Monday Night Football, uh, Bob Costas announced when the NBC had gotten the deal to get the Premier League. It was like, I think, Monday Night Football, they spent a few minutes talking about how NBC had got the Premier League rights, and that was a big deal. So, I don't know. I, I see both sides. I mean, it would have been nice. I, I think,
1: I think what's happened to be honest with you is that, that because they have the rights to FIFA tournaments now, Fox, Yeah. Uh, the 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 rights to club games uh, are, are, are secondary. And there is right. the, uh, the, the, the Rara USA aspect of their MLS coverage, which they will, uh, which they will promote. If, although there is, um, you know, heightened kind of sensitivity to that in this political climate. But uh, I, I think the Bundesliga and champions league now are, are, are largely throwaways for them. And, mm-hmm. and uh, perhaps, perhaps, uh, Perhaps the next go around in the Champions League, ESPN can do a better job with the property than than Fox.
0: Yeah, yeah, Uh, it it does seem that way in terms of kind of club soccer rights. FA Cup two is kind of it almost seems to be throwaway, where kind of uh, Fox takes it for granted. Yeah, not, although not, I mean spent. the FA Cup in fairness, I mean I think the tournament is becoming a throwaway for the teams
1: involved. So uh, I I can't really fault Fox for that one and, and there's a lot of criticism of which games Fox selects but they're not they don't have the liberty. Uh the FA Cup we've talked about this
0: before is still 10 15 years behind on on in, in terms of what they do with television and, and, and video. Right. Well, I will say just one more thing context before we move on is that uh, the schedule's out for the FA Cup fifth round games. They're going to be on Fox. And every single game will be available uh, either on TV or streaming. So I think it's what, eight games left. So, so check out WillSoccerTalk.com for, for that schedule. All right, Cortex. So let's move on to our featured topic of the week. And this one is um, some more interesting research from Guilt Edge Soccer Marketing. And they brought out a, uh, an infographic that came out uh, this past weekend, I believe. Uh, it's called Soccer on TV in 2016 uh, from a U.S. Perspective. So for us and, and for our listeners, this will be of interest. Um, maybe have you, Karthik, kind of lead off in, in terms of kind of uh, sharing any, uh, any of the stats or research from this. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot out. of soccer on television. That's the first thing I'm going to, in the U.S.,
1: the first thing that's jumped out at me. And and I have to be honest with you, Chris, when I looked at this, I thought, my gosh, maybe there's too much soccer on television. So uh, total channels carry matches. There are a couple really good takeaway stats from, uh, and Guilty Dead Soccer and John Guppy and the guys there are doing a, uh, a fantastic job uh, of, of accumulating data and really giving us some empirical data about, about the sport we love, but total channels carrying matches, 39. That is a lot. Um, there are uh, uh, 9.8 matches per day on average on, tele- on American television. Uh, you have uh, uh, 80 plus plus. Uh, different leagues, tournaments that are on uh, U.S. television. Uh, the the team which is on the most is Barcelona uh, with 78 total matches. Now, I know the, um, the one of the employees of City Football Group, which uh, owns Manchester City and also New York City FC, uh, has uh, inquired of, of Gilted Edge to try and get some more information as to where Manchester City ranks uh, in that uh, versus uh, Barcelona. Um, the slowest uh, month the most matches in a single day was 34. I uh, can, can't imagine when that was. Uh, June, September, and November, there were games every day. Now, remember, June was Copa America and the Euros, and it was just crazy. And, and I will admit I was burnt out of soccer after that and didn't really reemerge until uh, the start of uh, the, the Bundesliga and Premier League and Serie A seasons uh, six to eight weeks later. Uh, the, um, the number of matches that are broadcast. 32% in Spanish, 34% in English, and 34% in both English and Spanish. So it's basically one-third, one-third, one-third. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, so that means you can get two-thirds of the matches if you're uh, uh, an English speaker in English. Uh, and, and so that, I thought, was pretty telling. No surprise, the channel with the most broadcasts is BN sports. be interesting to see who was second. It's probably FS1 uh, or FS2, even though uh, NBC has such... Uh, NBCSN has so many Premier League games, they don't have anything else. Here's um, another interesting stat. The slowest month as far as games was December, even though those of us who follow the Premier League closely tend to think of December as just the most ridiculous month uh, on the calendar, but it's the only league playing at the time, or that in Scotland. Um, And Scotland not really featured on American television, so at least not extensively. So that's, that was interesting to me because I always think of December as being kind of the heart of the season. And it's, uh, it's not in most of the world.
0: And the, the biggest month, or the busiest month is uh, October with uh, 399 games.
1: So Yeah, well, that's because you have Champions League in full swing. And then you also have these midweek cup competitions. Copa del Rey going yeah, on, the League, League, League Cup in England. It, it's... Uh, Europa League. Yeah, right. October yeah europa league right october there's a game every day in october i'm surprised uh did, did, that they uh it didn't reach well i guess it did reach junior saying it was busier so um that yeah. uh that, that 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 is uh and then you have these friday games now uh in france and Germany and in the english championship and sometimes in the premier League mm-hmm. which um uh also consume uh viewing and it 's become um I I have to say the Friday Friday Bundesliga game has almost become such a standalone event that um it kind of I, I don't want to say it messes up the weekend, but there's a team that it psychologically always has a jump uh in terms of uh um in terms of uh um the table. Because it's usually it seems like it's always Dortmund, uh Bayern or uh or Leipzig playing on those Friday games.
0: Yeah, and it's one of those things, that too, that Bayern Munich, uh, I think to kick off the, the second half of the season after the winter break, it was Bayern in that first game, so kind of that gave them the advantage there of playing on that Friday. Um, a couple of other stats that jump out in this in this research, Karthik, is that um, there were only 20 days in the whole of 2016 where there wasn't any soccer on TV. Wow. Twenty days, and then also the other thing, though, too, is that um, the number of games in, uh, in total. So there were um, three thousand five hundred and fifty-seven games uh, shown in two thousand sixteen on TV. Um, that, that's enormous. The, the other thing, though, take, though, too, is that this research doesn't a factor, I believe. And actually, willsoccertalk.com dot com was part of the uh, the research that that, that uh, helped out uh, Guild Soccer Edge on this one. Is that it doesn't include games that are available streaming only. So, BN Sports Connect is a great example of they've got so much coverage of different uh, leagues from around the world. Uh, got Swiss Swiss League now. Is, uh, Swiss Super League is back in action as well as you mean Liga, Serie A, uh, La Liga, etc. There's just so many games Championship Two that they can't uh, have on BN in Sports and BN in Sports in uh, Espanol just because um, you mean you can only show so many games there that um, it would be interesting to see what this research looks like if you include streaming, legal streaming, as part of this, too, because the numbers would just certainly increase across the, fo- uh, across the board, I'm sure. Now, Kartik, you have to wonder, though, too, like, so a couple of years ago, I think it was Don Garber that said that there was uh, this, he argued that there's too much soccer on television – And at the time, I think I wrote a piece actually on World Soccer Talk and just talked about it, just saying, like, this is just crazy. Like, how could somebody complain about there being too much soccer on television for the consumer? It's great because you can choose from any league pretty much around the world and watch the best of soccer. But I think, I mean, definitely at this point, I think what he's complaining about, though, too, is from a, a league commissioner's point of view, is it's hard for MLS to be relevant when viewers at home which is really kind of where the money comes from in terms of TV rights, if MLS really wants to grow in the future, TV rights is going to be a huge part of that. Um, it's really difficult for MLS to be relevant when there's so much other soccer on TV. Not that just there's so much other soccer on TV, but I would argue that in many, in many cases it's, it's better quality. So, so how does MLS compete in a crowded marketplace like this, Kartik, uh, on the TV rights side? Uh, it's difficult. I, I don't know that they do. I mean, that's that's
1: really the reality. This is... Uh, I, I've gotten to the point where I'm not sure MLS can improve its 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 television profile or its television ratings. I know that's not the view of everybody. We had this discussion a few weeks back on this show, but uh, there is there is almost too much soccer. Look, I mean, I'm burnt out. I, I can't... I, there's so many midweek games that I don't watch now. Mm-hmm. So Barca said, Letty, I knew what was going on, and normally if that's a game that's going on on a weekend, I, I'm they, although they, they, if it's going on a weekend, it's a league game, right? Um, I'm jumping to it. But it was a Copa del Rey second line. Eh, I don't really want to watch it. Um, I'll find out what happens after. I'm watching ESPN FC anyway. And they got all the analysis I needed. It's almost There's almost a certain degree of burnout that's coming with the um, the current – Uh, trajectory of how much soccer is on television
0: I I think I think a large part of it though is just choice so for me I mean I I get paid my job Mm. is to watch soccer so I mean that that's my full-time job I watch watch watching soccer games on average probably two games a day sometimes three but yes I get burnt out too um, but I'm trying to be more selective so I'm kind of looking at the schedule for a whole week and kind of okay let me try this one. Let me see. Like, Ligue was one match I watched this past weekend. It was uh, Dijon against uh, PSG. I thought, okay, let me tune this in and, and see what's happening. And it was a really boring game. I mean, Dijon was horrible. PSG was was pretty lifeless. And after about 15 minutes or so, I was like, okay, let me just switch this off and, and let me try something else. And, and that might have been when I was watching the uh, Porto against uh, sporting game. But um, I think at the end of the day, I mean, it's – you and I, Kartik, come from – I think a soccer culture where there was very little soccer on TV, so I think we're probably more inclined to try to watch as much as possible, just because it's yeah. part of our DNA. But I think I for, think for for our own goods, but also for the listeners too, I think it's one of those things we just have to be more selective and pick and choose what we want to see. Um, and other than the Middle East, I think in terms of quantity um, and quality, and um, we have some of the best coverage from around the world. I think the Middle East has more coverage. Which is hard to believe, but they do. Uh, but but for the most part, I mean, we're probably number two in the world in terms of uh, the amount, the amount and quality of coverage that we can, we can watch. And at the end of the day, I would argue that it makes the American soccer fan a, a better educated, uh, more well-rounded uh, viewer of the game uh, from a world soccer perspective than than people in the in the UK and people in other countries that you would see as kind of people that were. Perceived as being soccer experts, we can watch practically anything from around the world, any time of the day. You name it; whenever we want to.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with that, and I think uh, it it, uh, it perhaps makes you less. Uh, um, Less an expert on a single league and uh, more an expert on kind of general concepts because I mean I the, the thing that always stuns me in in Britain when you and I both travel there is that how little people know about the rest of global football mm-hmm. really I mean yep. they know Spain Spanish league they've been watching for years but beyond that they don't they don't know very much about German football even or, or Italian football mm-hmm. it, it's pretty striking or, or Portuguese football they. Um, uh, Concepts, ideas, people are introduced to them when they come to the Premier League uh, yep. and that's uh, that 's not the case here. We know a lot about people um, and, and, and and trends and tactical trends and things like that before before the British do in many cases
0: right and and a lot of it is access too, so we have access to more games than they do they can 't watch as many games because uh, there's blackouts i mean they, they can 't watch any any soccer. Uh, on Saturdays, between uh, their time between three, three and five, five fifteen. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, no matter what's happening around the world, they can't watch any of that those games. So, um, and and on top of that too, they have less coverage uh, overall. Although it's improving, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a good place to be. I mean, definitely, if you live in the US, uh, you should feel uh, lucky and privileged that you can watch as much soccer as you want. Karthik, uh one question for you, too, is I'm just wondering, um, and, and you would know better than I would, but is there any other sports in the U.S., uh, across across all lines of sports, that's televised as much as soccer?
1: No. Uh, college football, maybe, but it's a short season. College football is on constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because different conferences negotiate different rights deals, and you've seen even BN now showing Conference USA, uh, there is... Uh, there are also specialty channels like the SEC TV and Pac-12 Television and the Longhorn Network. So I guess college football is on as much as soccer, but that's it. Uh, not uh, no other professional sport is on as much as soccer.
0: Right. Yeah. And even with college football, like like you said too, it's a short season. So with soccer, I mean, with it being, I mean, only 20 days in the whole entire year where there's no soccer on TV. And I can guarantee you, I can bet you that on those twenty days, there were soccer. There was soccer on. It was on streaming, on on legal streaming yeah. sites. That you could have watched. But um, yeah, and that, that, and that's something that at some point at, for WorldSoccerTalk.com dot com would be a good topic is just the fragmentation of soccer in in the US. Uh, if you take all the TV rights and all the viewing numbers for all the different sports and leagues, soccer, soccer leagues, and combine those together, what does that number equal? Because I, right. I I would be convinced that that number is actually a huge number. It's just that soccer is so fragmented, so many leagues, so many competitions, so many options, um, that the numbers seem smaller than what they are. And when we compare that to NFL games, where you mean know, for professional American football, I mean there's there's no other game in town really. You mean know, other than you mean know, some. Canadian Football League or something like that but really the NFL has no competition from a football perspective an American football perspective All right, Kartik so uh, for those listeners who have questions uh, feedback or opinions that you guys want to share and uh, you want us to read those out on air we'd be happy to Um, you can contact us through uh, email which is web at worldsoccertalk.com through Twitter you can reach us at uh, wsoccertalk and then through Facebook, you can reach us through facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. And we would definitely love to hear from you in terms of any uh, thoughts or analysis or opinions, questions you may have. And then, Karthik, where can listeners uh, find you on the internet?
1: KKFLA737
0: on Twitter is the easiest way to find me.
1: That kind of aggregates everything up elsewhere. All right. And then
0: uh, people can find me through worldsoccertalk.com. Find all the uh, contact information on, on that website. Uh, if you want to reach out directly to me, so thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Uh, don't forget to leave us a, a review on iTunes or Stitcher, and uh, be sure to send us your feedback or questions so we can read those out on air. And Kartik, over to you, sir.
1: Enjoy your football.